What's going on? You are listening to Talk About Gay Sex. I'm your host, Steve Rodriguez, here in my original city that I grew up in, San Francisco, California. I'm so happy to be back in my hometown, and it has changed dramatically. And as always, when I'm on the road, um, sometimes I have one of my two sidekicks, Steve Carpenter or Jeremy Ross Lopez. But on this one, I'm solo, but that's okay because I am joined by my original BFF. He's still my BFF, uh, Larry Hashbarger. Larry is, um, to many, uh, is one of the owners and creators of Asia SF in San Francisco. Um, he, they just wrapped up um, season two of the reality show Transcendent on Fuse. He, I certainly know him throughout the years through Macy's Passport and working with him and, of course, just traveling and everything else. Larry, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, and welcome back to San Francisco. Thank you. I know you left your heart here, so it's always nice when you, your physical body comes back, too. <laughs> exactly. My heart will <laughs> always be here, and fortunately, I have you and family and friends, and, and there's always a reason to come back here, even though this city has... Like every city, and like all of us, have grown and, and changed. But I mean, this city in particular has dramatically evolved and changed. It's changed so much, and a lot of old timers like myself um, are not too happy with it. Right. For me, I can I understand you know um, where people are coming from when they say that. But I also know that life's all about moving forward, and San Francisco is moving forward. And, and, you know, for better or worse, it is what it is. It's gotten, you know, the population has grown here. It's gotten congested in terms of traffic. And, you know, I just coming from where I live in Noe Valley sometimes can take me twice as long because of the traffic now. Right. It never used to be like that. So those are the kinds of things that I think that, you know, people are... Are reacting to when they say, you know, it's not the the old San Francisco. Exactly, and we'll get into the old San Francisco because it's part yeah. of the topic today. San Francisco and sex is what I'm calling it right now. That may change people, but right now I'm going with that working title. And um, we'll, we should tell everyone uh, when and where we met, which was in the Bay Area many years. Yes. I think it was 1989. You were work, working with Macy, working at Macy's, producing right. a back-to-school fashion show. Yes. And I was a gymnast, and you had hired our gymnastic team right. to kind of perform um, on the road with you as entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. I mean... For many years, actually, I worked at Macy's for 35 years, if you can believe it. It seems like a lifetime. And but, lived here um, 40? And I've, I've lived here 40 years, actually. Just in January was my 40-year anniversary of moving to San Francisco. So 1977 in Congratulations. January. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's been quite a amazing journey. It was it, You know, it's interesting. I look back now because I was, I was either going to move to New York or L.A., or San Francisco. Right. And San Francisco was like my actually my third choice. And I ended up here for a lot of reasons, which I won't go into now. But right. um, I did end up here, and, and it was obviously the right choice for me. It's yes, been your incredible. Heart is still here. My heart is still here. <laughs> Holding it's been, down the fort for us. Yep. And it's um, just been an incredible 40 years. I mean, you know, if you saw... Um, when we rise, I was, you know, that was sort of my history because the second episode is takes place, starts in 1977. That's when I arrived, and so it's been um, 
It's been pretty remarkable. Yes, and exactly, When We Rise. And thanks for bringing that up because the reason, of course, I wanted to have you on the show since I started this podcast, but it really was making sense to me when I was watching When We Rise. It's Dustin Lance Black's ABC production. He created, conceived, I think he wrote and directed most of them. But um, it is the miniseries that is tells San Francisco from the early 70s going through key figures like Harvey Milk, like Carol Migdon, uh, many of the key players in this particular city. Mm-hmm. And then overall about the fight of LGBT rights. And, and the reason that I really thought of you, which was really interesting, was because I was like, wow, when it wrapped up, and even before it wrapped up, because they have a transgender um, character in the in the series. And yeah, who, I, who actually is a friend of mine, Cecilia really? Chang. Yeah. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so cool. She's amazing in the, is she an actress? Um, well, I mean... The, and now the, she is. <laughs> now she's, a, you know, a transgender activist and she works, you know in different government, um, you know, capacities. She's been a, uh, I think she's a part of the health commission for San Francisco right now. Wow. So um, she's, you know, a pretty amazing woman. And, and that was her, you know, she was being portrayed, her life was being portrayed in that series. So. Yeah, and what, so when I was watching it, I, I was thinking of you because they really do follow the 70s and kind of that late 70s era of, of San Francisco, nightlife, and then, um, so I was thinking of you when you moved here, and then it goes into, and we'll get into all these things, but it goes, just to summarize, it goes into, you know, of course, the AIDS epidemic, which... Macy's passport, um, and then it goes, and then it comes into the transgender and all the political things that are reflect throughout our history. Yes, and and shows the transgender movement, and and I thought, wow, here, Larry has really been. It is your story, and you've been bookending this and continue as you know. It sort of leaves us with there's more to fight for. I think Cleve. Uh, Cleve Jones's characters, you know, kind of encouraging and sort of what they insinuate and you continue to evolve and create. And I I just was like, I have to have Larry on and we have to talk about, I hope he watched it, but if not, it doesn't matter because it's really his life story and, and you can just, yeah. So I was, yeah, I did watch it, you know, and first of all, I'm a really big fan of Dustin Lance Black. I think he's an amazing writer and I think, you know, he won an Oscar for the screenplay to Milk, which also won the Oscar for Best Picture that year. Um, I arrived in San Francisco when Harvey Milk was, you know, just starting his campaign for supervisor. Wow. So, again, it's something that resonates with me. And so looking and watching um, the miniseries, I just felt that that he captured really the essence of what happened during that period so really well. And I I love the fact that he's also such a a wonderful activist for um, the LGBT community and for equality. Right. And the things that he, the projects that he takes on, he specifically, you know, looks at how he can advance the cause of the LGBT community. In fact... After he won the Oscar for, for Milk, he was approached by several networks to do a miniseries, a major project. He chose ABC because he thought it would be a wider exposure to 
not just the LGBT community, but to people beyond the LGBT at large, who really are the ones who need to know and understand this story. And we must, and kudos to ABC for picking up this. And I mean, it is 2017, but we are in a current administration that, you know, I think that was even more important given the, you know, the state of the, our, you know, the U.S. right now. You know, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think one of the things that um, I heard that Joe Biden said um, was that Will and Grace did more for advancing gay causes in this country than probably anything else. Because all those people who had maybe never met a gay person or they had never really, if they maybe had but didn't realize they were gay or or had shunned someone who was gay, all of a sudden there was a character they could identify with and they had the same issues in life that they had. And I really felt like, you know, when we opened AJSF, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, um, you know, we spent 19 years ago now, <laughs> that that's like what we do too, is that we, you know, people get to meet transgender women. And so once you meet somebody and you get to know them, you find out that your fears, you know, go away because you're not more knowledgeable about who they are and what their lifestyle is. And you find it's not a threat to you. And, it, and they're just, you know, like, they're just like you. So I think that that's really a big part of, of what when we rise was about it was trying to also educate you know middle america on what our story is absolutely and and that one of the hashtags that i just love that i use now and i find it's it's so important is know your history and this obviously showing us our history um lgbt history and did it in a very linear but uh, entertaining way I felt awesome and so know your history is always key because you have to pay respect I feel sometimes for the people that came before us and, and not take for granted of not only the, the liberties and freedoms we have now but you know that could be in jeopardy even in the current state so exactly yeah so but one of the things in the film uh, or in the, in the miniseries, is uh, I wanted to kind of go back to that 70s, back to that kind of time frame when you moved in 1977. And, uh, you know, they kind of tap, this is a, a show about gay sex. And I can only imagine what it would be like when you, were you full out gay in 1977 when you? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> and the nightlife, I know, was. It, it was amazing to be in San Francisco in those days because, you have to remember that, you know, in the late 60s, in fact, this summer of 2017 is the 50-year anniversary of the Summer of Love, which was in 1967, Haight-Ashbury. Yes. And so the whole idea of, of you know, of Sexuality. the sexual revolution, and, 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 you know, it was okay to, to be a sexual person, right. probably for the first time ever in America among that population. So that was happening in the hate. So you have to just, you know, fast forward like a few years. Right. And in 1972, which is when When We Rise begins, all of a sudden, you know, gay people were arriving in large numbers in San Francisco from all over the world because they saw it as a place, you know, that uh, sort of a gay mecca back right. in those days, but that we were coming out of this whole sexual revolution. Then the other thing that happened in the mid-70s was we 
being the gay community, created the gay disco. Straight right. people didn't have discos when, when we first started. And so all of a sudden, between sort of that sexual revolution of the late 60s into the disco era, it created this amazing opportunity, not opportunity, but it, just this incredible energy and spirit for for gay people. And also, because straight people didn't really have discos back then, right. they start coming to our discos, to the gay clubs, which we were annoyed by because we didn't want those straight people hanging out with us. <laughs> right. But what it did is it it said, oh, they again, they got to know gay people because they were going to their clubs. And as a gay person, you were accepted right. by a straight by the straight community in, in, a, in a greater way than before. And so you started to feel really good about yourself. And I was in my really young 20s back then. And so, you know, I started, um, I remember there was a disco in Denver called the Broadway. I was there every single night. I mean, like every night. Right. And Even like and I had to be at work right. at 8.30 the next day. And I mean, I would get out of bed like at, I don't know how I did it, but I'd get out of bed like at 8 o'clock and I'd somehow be at work at 8.30. But you partied every single night, and it was just such an incredible thing. And then, you know, um, and that was really in 1975 that that club opened in Denver. And then just, you know, not even two years later, here I am. I arrive in San Francisco, and, and, and in 1977, this city, you know... It had for, to be on fire because disco oh. was... That was part of the height or beginning of disco, I would say, kind of... Well, it was well on its way by well 1977. Way. Yeah, right. And it was, you know, to be someone who, when I arrived here, I was 24. And, um, you know, just was... You know, just very... Match. A young male gay man that was, you know, in having sex, you know, with other right. guys. And so it was just very, is a very, you know, amazing place. And it's be. interesting because, you know, this was obviously before cell phones and apps and, and the way people meet people now. And so that was clearly a time that I'm sure that's when you would find other men and and find you know, people to meet. And it, that's yeah, probably well, why you went out every night, too, is because nowadays you would just stay in and on a Monday, Tuesday. And, the, well, certainly the club scene isn't like what it used to be. And so, and you can easily find somebody if you want on the apps. But this was how you met people. That's how you met people. You went to the clubs. And there were so many gay discos. And I mean big, you know, where you'd have like a 1,000, 2,000 people on a Saturday night. And full of like just gorgeous guys usually dressed you know just in some really tight jeans and no shirt and so it was you know it just was one of those places that you felt like you were in nirvana quite right. frankly but anything went here i mean there were bathhouses on every corner too that's true yeah and in fact just a block away from hsf is now is the episcopal sanctuary but that was the biggest and most famous bathhouse in san francisco called the club baths wow 
And so, what about the where we're at right now, Asia SF? Wasn't there something the something below? There, it was. There were uh, some clubs that were here, some gay clubs. There was one called um, downstairs where we have our dance club now. It was called the Pit. The Pit, and, yeah. And upstairs was called Cocktails. Okay. And so, you know, there's a lot of famous stories of things that happened in in both of those places. I'm sure. So. Well, speaking of this area, um, another movie that I'm constantly quoting from, just because I love it. I'm somewhat in the leather scene is Folsom Forever. And it's really the, the documentary uh, by Mike Skiff that really documents the inception of the Folsom Street Fair. Um, somebody we know, Audrey Joseph's in it, uh, Sister Roma's in it. And yeah. um, it really shows how the, the Folsom Street Fair started, not just as a fair and fundraiser for the city, but really for it. Um, AIDS. And so before we get into that, I was curious, like when you were going out in 1977 and the late 70s um, in this area that we're at south of Market now were um, several leather bars. Oh, oh no, it was it was the leather place. Mecca. Right. It was a leather Mecca and it was, you know, infamous throughout the world. And I mean, now, like a block away is the world headquarters of Twitter and the yeah. world headquarters of Uber <laughs> and then Dolby's over here. And we're like in the epicenter of this whole tech thing now. But right. back in the day, it was almost um, it was more of a warehouse district and then leather bars and right. bathhouses. Right. And I remember back then some time some of the bathhouses i was just even scared to go to because yeah. there was so much you know you'd hear stories about all these different sexual things that were happening and um did you go to any of these uh leather bars i think i you know i wasn't really into the leather scene back right. then yeah i was more of a disco boy yeah exactly and uh but i did you know that was something that i certainly experienced and i went to some of the clubs and I'm not sure what year Folsom actually started, but um, I, you know, went to the fair many times. Right, so. right. I want to talk to you about, because you've thrown this word around before, um, speak, you know, because with drugs, there's always, sex has always kind of evolved and heightens our senses. And you've told me about people did a lot of quaaludes back in the day. And I don't think you yeah. can even find quaaludes now. I don't even know what they are really. Like, was they a pill, like a pill form? It was, it was a pill, yeah. And they were very big in the 70s. right. And I know before, even before I moved to San Francisco back in, in um, Denver, where I'm from, we would, um, you know, do, that was our, our drug of choice. Right. And basically, they were, just made you feel very euphoric, so sort of like ecstasy. Okay. Um, I don't know what the drug today is. Right. But, uh, but then <laughs> yeah. we would do a little Coke with it just to keep you going. To heighten it. And then you would, you know, have a few cocktails on top of that. Right. So, <laughs> by, the end of, by, the middle, by the height of the night, you were... Oh, I remember great. like being on the dance floor and just, you know, with the most beautiful guys everywhere dancing and all the fog, you know, from the fog machine and all the lights and the crowd. And then here's Donna Summer singing Love oh. to Love You Baby. My and God, you're on this favorite. combination of drugs, and you're just like, you're in, I mean, you are in nirvana. You are in yeah. heaven. This is yeah. like, no, it doesn't get any better. The smoke made it even feel more like heaven. Yeah. And quite frankly, back in those days, you have to remember also, it was pre-AIDS. Right. So you weren't worried about any, you know, okay, well, if you get an STD, yeah, okay, so maybe you go 
And you get and what were, you were know, the STDs the ones that we know now today, just like the same ones. And chlamydia. Yeah, I yes, mean, sure the same just, ones. Got it. Yeah, and, and but those like today are, are you treatable. You just go and, to the clinic and you would get an antibiotic, and you know. And fine. speaking of healthcare and all that that's going on now, we're clinics readily available. And did you ever have to worry about you know even though. It was San Francisco, and there was people like yourself, people fighting for our rights. But did you have to worry about being gay, and let's just say you caught an STD, about stigmas or... No. Okay, because it was San Francisco? Well, because because there were lots of free clinics, and you could just go and, you know... and No one turned a a judgment eye or... No, because everybody was going. Yeah, and everybody was getting... (laughs) Everybody was there. From that Nirvana moment, you went over to the clinic. Exactly. (laughs) Right after... No, there there were... I mean, there was no stigma about it. I mean, everybody in the scene, you know, everybody that was going out, and at some point point or another got was probably yeah. going to get some sexually transmitted disease but back then i mean you just went and got some antibiotics it was no no big deal right and remember that back in those days you could be with three or four or five guys in one night <laughs> right you're yeah. not just gonna go out and like it's not just about one yeah right you know? preparing for or, that one the bathhouses were infamous. They had these big orgy rooms, and there would be like 50 people in these rooms just right. doing everything and anything. And, you know, so. And we forget they were somewhat legitimized because obviously, in places like New York City, um, Bette Midler, you know, the legendary story of her coming in and performing. And I'm sure the Continental Baths. I'm sure she was one of many Continental Baths. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure she was one of many celebrities that came in and or local celebrities that performed. And it was just kind of the way it was. I mean, now, if you said you were going to the the one few baths that are around, you'd probably want to like, I don't know. I think there's other ways to probably find yeah. um, sex. Well, I mean, in this day and age, you know, it's so different right. than it was back then because, as you said, we didn't even have answering machines back right. in those days. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. It's like your roommate had to, like, write you a note and leave it on the refrigerator if somebody called you. Yeah. Like I say, you know, like you're waiting for a hot date and you're not home and so your roommate takes a message. And half the time they wouldn't leave you the message, you know, and so you didn't even know the call happened. And so there was this funny thing where... Um, you know, if you had a roommate and you were, you got, you went home with someone, right. you, sex, you would leave a pillow outside the door. So they knew that you were in there with someone. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So our way of communicating was very different. What about when, today. because obviously you weren't texting and saying, Hey, meet me at such and such bar and all this. So did you have a group of guys that you meet or did you find that, you know, cause we talk about this on another podcast, what's your game? Um, you know, some guys go out by themselves and, you know, fully comfortable with that. Did you go out by yourself? Did you go out with friends or did that ruin your game for the night if you did go out with friends or was it it was the 70s, though, right? I, I mean, I would do both, but I usually would go out with friends. And, you know, when you're dancing or going to a disco, you want to be with people that you can dance with. But, I mean, you were primarily there to try to find somebody to hook it up with. <laughs> right. So friends or not, they would understand. Friends or not. And it was not a particularly good idea to go there with someone that you're dating. Because yeah. it's very hard to uh, for the wandering eyes, you know, and back... You know, and of course, you know, there were all the, the same things we have today, jealousies and, yes, you know, right. those, those kinds of things. Human emotions don't Human emotions. Us. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then we have to talk, because the, you know, as 
When We Rise um, does such a good job of um, documenting that initial scare, as many films have done, um, the AIDS epidemic. And I'm sure when it hit, because your work later was so pronounced in raising funds for um, HIV through Macy's Passport, but when it first hit, you weren't doing that. And um, I'm assuming you were working at Macy's and... um, Talk just a little bit about that scare that they show, and was it, I mean, such a major damper on... Well, everything changed, and everything changed literally overnight. And I'll never forget, um, it was the summer of 1981, which is when they first started to see KS, you know, and a lot of gay men, and they started calling it... KS being the first name of it, yeah. Well... Carposis sarcoma, which was a uh, a cancer, and so you'd get these red marks on your body. Right, they show that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it was called KS for short. But but uh, they saw a lot of gay men. They started seeing a lot of gay men in um, not just San Francisco, but New York and Los Angeles and sort of gay, you know, epicenters, and uh, or gay where there were large gay communities, I should say, and so. Um, they started calling it the gay cancer because it was basically a cancer type thing. And so I remember being down in the Castro and on the corner of 18th and Castro, there's a Walgreens store that's been there for umpteen millions of years. But here in the window, and they they might have even had it in the miniseries, was uh, like a poster and it showed someone with it and they said the gay cancer. And it was the first time I'd even like was aware that anything was going on, you know, wow. and I'm like, what is this about? You know, gay cancer. Yeah. And that was in the summer of 1981. And so, you know, everything started to change really fast and literally within two or three years, every gay disco, big gay disco had closed. This black cloud sort of came over the whole the community and everyone was terrified because your friends were just dying left and right. Right. And for, you know, speaking for myself, it was, I was like, okay, well, my friends are dying. I did the same things they did. So I guess I'm going to be, you know, next to, and even when they came out with, um, the test, Yeah, I refused. There was a period that there was no test, right? Right. In the early days, there was no test. But when they sort of identified, finally identified HIV, right, and they came up with the blood test, uh, there, you know, there was a big push to get tested, of course, within the the community, and so I was like, I'm not going to get tested because, first of all, back then there was no cure. I mean, if you're tested, you're basically dead. I'm like, I'd rather not know. (laughs) Right. But what happened, however, is that you lived in a bubble of fear and terror because every time you got a bruise, every time you got a cold, every time anything, yeah, yeah, you would assume that that was probably it. And so it was a very, very difficult thing. And I remember... I didn't even get tested for, I don't think I got tested for like eight or nine years. Wow. After they had it because. So that's like eight or nine years of somewhat living in fear, right? Oh, total fear. Like living in prison in a way. And and the only reason I decided to get tested was because it became such an overpowering negative thing in my life that I got to the point where 
it'd be better to know than not to know. Yeah, yeah. And so I went the first time. Back in those days, it was really horrible because you went to a, a clinic, like a city clinic, and you take they take your blood. You had to wait two weeks to get the results. I, I remember that even during yeah. when... I started getting tested too. Yeah. It was a two week period, two weeks of hell. Two weeks of hell. And so I went back after two weeks and I go in the room and someone comes in and they've got like a folder and they don't know what your status is. They're going to reveal it to you. And I literally said, I don't want to know. And I left. I got totally freaked out. Yeah, I know and that feeling. That is such a yeah vivid picture in my head, and I'm sure many people listening too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so then I finally can you know convince myself you have to do this. And so I went back, and maybe it was a year later, same thing. Had to wait two weeks, and I will never forget. I parked, and I remember walking up to this clinic. And just the emotions that I had, you the know, it was sweaty, very, very yeah. surreal, you know, because mm-hmm. I knew that what she was going to say, or I didn't know it was her, but I, I knew right. what my results were going to be in my mind. And so I walk in, I go in the room, and it was actually a woman who came in, and she had this folder. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to leave, I'm going to do it. And she opened the folder, and she said, uh, you're negative. And I was like, what? And she said, you're negative. And I couldn't even respond. And so I remember walking out and I had like, there were two emotions that were just overpowering. Number one is like, I felt like I had been reborn, like rebirth. Right. Because I had my life, I wasn't going to die. Right. And I had my life back. And And now you had maybe anticipated. Exactly. And now I had to plan like, okay, what, what is my life going to be from here going forward? And then the second feeling, which was also very overpowering, was just this feeling of guilt. Like, why me? And Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's... You know, all my friends had died, and why was I the one that, you know... And it's interesting, because it's, it is very emotional when you think about these things. And um, I was a little boy, just over the bay, not far from you. And it was interesting watching When We Rise, because... I was thinking all this was happening and I was a little boy, not, you know, 20, 30 miles away and a gymnast. And I have a vivid memory. It had to be, this was probably 85 or maybe 85. And I have a vivid memory of um, myself and a team member. We were in high school, um, probably our sophomore, junior year. And our parents took us to, I think it was Stanford and it was like UC Berkeley um, competing in gymnastics against Stanford and maybe another team. And we look at the Berkeley team and it's uh, my parents, my um, teammates, parents. And they said, where's Randy? Randy was one of the um, UC Berkeley team members. And he uh, was extremely in college. They only, they put you at your best events. So he was amazing in vaults. Well, Where's Randy? He wasn't on the vault. And my team member turns to his parents, but our parents, my parents are there too, and says, that fag got, you know, that he's that fag over there, he probably got AIDS, he deserves it, and said something to that effect. Well, I was younger and knew as a little boy that I liked boys, and certainly at that point hadn't really, aside from a few, you know, dry humps with another boy hadn't really done anything but that was enough to really kind of not only you know want to be push me further into that dark hole closet but it yeah. also yeah. 
was it, it to, for the fact that I'm 46 and can remember that statement. And obviously, you know, he only knew what he knew then. And, and yeah. you know, hopefully he doesn't have those viewpoints anymore. But I mean, it resonated with me. Those well, things resonate with you. There was such stigma back in those days. And, you know, if you had HIV, I mean, it was very difficult to, to, um, First of all, first and foremost, you were concerned about your health because there were there weren't the drugs that you know were developed later, right. and so you number one were just overwhelmed with that. But then you had the stigma that society was placing on you too, right. and so it was a very you know it was it was a very difficult time. And like I said, I just felt like this whole black cloud descended over the gay community in San Francisco for about ten years, and even. Um, after Harvey Milk and, and Mayor Moscone were assassinated, Diane Feinstein was the the mayor at that time, and she closed all the bathhouses. Wow, yeah. And mm-hmm. it was very controversial. There were people in the gay community that were furious that are because they felt like something was being taken away again. Right, right. And so, you know, it was not an easy time. Well, that concludes part one of my stimulating conversation with Larry Hashbarger. Join us this Thursday. That's right, this Thursday for part two and the conclusion of my conversation with Larry Hashbarger. But for now, follow us at Talk About Gay Sex on Twitter and Instagram and go to our website, talkaboutgaysex.com. We'll see you this Thursday for part two. And for now, continue having and talking about hot gay sex.